Mr. Jones owned a cotton plantation and many slaves. One day he was talking to the owner of the plantation next to his, and Mr. Jones was lamenting the fact that times were tough, he was having to work his slaves harder than ever, and was having trouble with some of them being disobedient or trying to run away. The other plantation owner said he knew someone who could help. Day One One day Mr. Jones called his slaves together so a man named Mr. Smith could talk to them. Before beginning, Mr. Smith whispered to Mr. Jones, Whatever I say, do not contradict me or interfere, and I promise you, your slave troubles will end. My name is Mr. Smith, he said to the slaves, and this may be the happiest day of your lives. From today forward, you will no longer be slaves, but free men. Mr. Jones was so shocked, he started to step forward, but Mr. Smith gestured for him to remain silent. He did, only because the other plantation owner had spoken so highly of Mr. Smith's skills. You are no longer the property of Mr. Jones, Mr. Smith continued. You are free. No more would you be forced to labor for the benefit of Mr. Jones. Now you can work for yourselves. Now the slaves were all murmuring and looking at each other. Many were smiling, many were looking puzzled. In fact, you are now free to leave the plantation whenever you want, Mr. Smith said. However, since we are surrounded by other plantations, if you leave, some other plantation owner will likely claim you as his own the moment you set foot on his property. So I urge you not to risk your newfound freedom by doing something so foolish. Instead, I suggest that you stay here, no longer as slaves, but as willing participants and part owners of this plantation. Yes, this is now your plantation. Mr. Jones bit his tongue to keep from objecting. For now, we might as well leave Mr. Jones in charge, said Mr. Smith since he is the only one with any experience at running a plantation, which is quite a complicated thing to manage. But he will no longer be your master, but just another worker on the plantation. In fact, he will now be using his organizational and management skills to serve you. Whatever problems you may have had with him before, you are now all equals, and you need each other to make this work. If we all cooperate and work together, we can all reap the benefits together. In honor of this happy occasion, I present you this new symbol of togetherness and cooperation, this flag, which shall be the emblem of the new free Jones Plantation. He held up the new flag, but most of those listening were still too amazed to respond. And this shall be our motto, Mr. Smith announced. We work together as free men for our mutual benefit, pledging our allegiance to the Jones Plantation, which stands for prosperity, liberty, and justice for all. To celebrate, everyone has the rest of the day off. Enjoy your freedom, do as you please, and be back here tomorrow morning, bright and early, so that we may begin work on this great and noble new endeavor as equal free men. Finally convinced that Mr. Smith was serious, the former slaves applauded and cheered. Day Two We all want this plantation to do well, Mr. Smith said at the beginning of the next meeting, so we can all share in the benefits. We all know that it takes a lot of effort to make a cotton plantation work, just because you're all free doesn't mean you can stop working. In fact, since you're now working for yourselves, I expect you to work even harder than ever before, but now with pride and joy, knowing that you're working for yourselves. Of course, there still have to be rules. If everyone just does whatever he wants, the plantation won't produce anything. This experiment will fail, and we'll all starve. You should be thankful that Mr. Jones has agreed to stay on to lend his knowledge and skills to this endeavor, and I trust you will all do your own part to make this work. Several of you have been chosen to act as project supervisors, to manage different aspects of the operation, to make sure everyone is doing his assigned job, to make sure that the rules are followed, and so on. The rest of you may head out to the fields to start your first day of work as free men. Day 3 The next morning, Mr. Smith had a grim expression on his face as the daily meeting began. 
I have an unpleasant duty to do today, he said. Yesterday, Charles was caught keeping some of the cotton he picked, presumably to sell for his own personal profit. That is against the rules. That is stealing. For that, Charles must be punished. Two men tied Charles to the whipping post. I take no joy in this, Mr. Smith continued, but you must understand, if we do not maintain order, if we do not have rules that we all abide by, then the plantation will fail and we will all suffer. The whip cracked against Charles' back. But if we all pitch in for the common good, then we can all prosper. Being free doesn't mean you should be selfish and greedy. We must each do our assigned duties and obey the rules, and then we can all benefit, and each of you will receive your appropriate share of the profits. A young man named Samuel stepped forward. But if you and Mr. Jones decide the rules and whip us if we disobey, how is that any different from what we had before? How can you say that, Mr. Smith asked. I'm shocked. You were a slave before, and now you're free. Things still need to be managed and organized by those best qualified to do so. Do you know how to run a plantation, Samuel? Well, no, he answered. But if we're free, why do we get no say in what the rules are and how things work? I'm surprised at your ingratitude, Mr. Smith answered. None of you know how a plantation is run, so you're in no position to be making decisions about how things are done here. You don't seem to appreciate all the things that Mr. Jones provides for you, from protecting you from all the outside threats you know nothing about, those who would come here, capture and enslave you, if not for Mr. Jones' protection, to making sure that you all have food and housing, tools to work with, that you're cared for when sick and injured, and so on. There wouldn't be a plantation at all, no cotton to pick, no land to plant and harvest, if not for him. You should be grateful that he's made possible the level of comfort you now have. Your lives would be far worse, if not for him. Nevertheless, as free and equal participants in this endeavor, from now on, at each meeting, any worker may have two minutes to ask questions or voice suggestions or complaints. With that, the workers all seemed satisfied and headed out again to the fields to pick the cotton. Day 4 I have a big announcement, Mr. Smith said as the daily meeting began. Mr. Jones' cousin is here, and not just to visit and see how our project is coming along. It has been decided that from now on, you will be deciding who will manage the plantation. Of course, this job can't be done by just anyone, but every three months we will have a special meeting at which all the workers will vote on whether we think Mr. Jones should run the plantation or whether we think his cousin, Mr. Johnson, should run the plantation. That means that ultimately you are in charge because you will be deciding which man you want running things on your behalf. If you don't like the way things are being managed, you now have the power to change it. Amazed and pleased, the workers headed out again to the fields to pick the cotton. Days passed, months passed, a year passed, and the plantation continued to operate as before. Sometimes Mr. Jones was in charge, sometimes Mr. Johnson was in charge, but the day-to-day -day routine stayed exactly the same. The workers worked hard, long hours every day and still had little to show for it. Every day the meeting would begin with them all reciting the Jones Plantation motto, We work together as free men for our mutual benefit, pledging our allegiance to the Jones Plantation, which stands for prosperity, liberty, and justice for all. One day Mr. Smith announced, Samuel has asked to say a few words this morning, and whatever the rest of us may think of his ideas and opinions, we are all free here, and that means we are all allowed to speak our minds. So, Samuel, you have two minutes. Begin. Samuel stepped forward, looking scared. I was excited when all this started, he began, glancing nervously at Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones. But don't you all see what's happened here? 
Nothing has changed. We're all still slaves. There were grumbles of disagreement from the crowd. They tell us what to do and whip us if we don't. They still make all the rules and punish us if we disobey. They let us make suggestions and complain about things, but they never really change anything. They let us choose between Mr. Jones and Mr. Johnson, but what's the difference? The situation stays the same. We do all of the work and they take as much as they want and decide how much they'll let us keep. They live in luxury made rich by the cotton we pick. We do all the work and have to build our own huts, grow our own food, and take care of ourselves. They leave us just enough that we don't revolt or run away. This is not freedom. We're all still slaves. They've only changed the words they use, but nothing else has changed. They say we're all free and equal, but we're not. They command and we obey. That's not freedom. That's not equality. They say we're free to leave, but all that means is that we're free to be someone else's slave. Why should we work or obey the rules? We didn't agree to this. They made the system. They forced it on us. They control and rob us and call it freedom. They've deceived you into thinking that being able to choose which slave master you'll work for is the same as being free. It's not. Open your eyes. If you keep what you produce, they call it stealing. When they take what you produce, they call it sharing and fair distribution. Can't you see that this is all... Your time is up, Samuel, Mr. Smith announced calmly. At his gesture, two supervisors grabbed Samuel by the arms and led him to the whipping post. I'm sorry, Samuel, but you've broken the rules. There are rules against encouraging others not to work and encouraging others to break the rules. You're only hurting all of us with your discontentment and your complaining and your disobedience. The whip fell and Samuel let out a grunt. Without rules, without order, all would be lost. Without law, there would be chaos. We can't just behave as wild animals, each doing whatever he pleases. We must all follow the plan and all do our duty for the betterment of everyone. And those who do not must be punished. The whip fell again and blood flowed freely from Samuel's back. Samuel, it is you who are stealing from the others. When you don't do your assigned work, you are making more work for others. When you disobey the rules, it is you who are endangering the future of everyone else here. You are the thief. You are the criminal. You are the one trying to destroy the arrangement that keeps us all safe and prosperous. At every lash of the whip, the other workers cheered louder and louder, some yelling curses at Samuel. Being spoiled and selfish, you complain about everything, talking as if you're oppressed. But you are the one ruining things. You are the one keeping us from being all we could be. It is your greed and your rebelliousness that is hurting all of us. They all play by the rules, Mr. Smith said, gesturing at the others. What makes you think that you don't have to? You think you're above the law? There were loud yells of agreement as the whip fell again. We must maintain order, Mr. Smith proclaimed, to make this plantation great, to make it so that we can all be happy and prosperous. To have the society we want, there have to be rules. We all have to contribute our fair share to this great endeavor, and we cannot tolerate actions and attitudes that seek to undermine the amazing things that together as free men we have achieved and will continue to achieve. Mr. Jones was smiling as he gave Mr. Smith a pat on the back. The crowd was cheering so loudly that none of them had noticed that Samuel had died. What you have been taught about government and politics is no more accurate or reasonable than what Mr. Smith taught the slaves. If you're ready to look through the veil of rhetoric and propaganda to see the reality beneath, get a copy of The Most Dangerous Superstition. 
It will change the way you see the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Peaceful Anarchism on the Voluntary Virtues Network on thusseedsofliberty.com and theconsciousresistance.com. Peaceful Anarchism is covered by the BIPCOT No Government License. This allows for reuse by anyone except for governments and the agents thereof. You can find out more, from, more information for this at bipcot.org. So today I'm delighted to be joined uh, by with uh, Larkin Rose and Amanda Rose, uh, formerly the Dragon Anarchist, um, and we're going to be discussing the plantation uh, Jones Plantation um, adaptation to becoming a feature-length feature length film. Um, and you can also find uh, more information uh, about Larkin Rose, therosechannel.com, uh, youtube.com slash Larkin Rose, and his Indiegogo page, indiegogo.com slash project slash Jones dash plantation. So I'll put those links in the in the description below um, for you to check out. So, uh, yeah. So Larkin Rose and Amanda, thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I've uh, been following you, Larkin, for a long time. I read your book, The um, Most Dangerous Superstition. Uh, let's see, back in 20, 2010, 11, my son was just born, and I was a I was a budding little anarchist at that time. I it's kind of funny because I, I almost put our, our we, we, you know, me and my wife, we were considering putting our kids in government school. And then I stumbled on, you know, G. Edward Griffin, Creature from Jekyll Island, your book, uh, Stefan Molyneux's channel, um, and Lou Rockwell, um, Mises Institute, all that stuff. And, and I went down that hole and I never looked back and uh, have you guys to thank for that. Uh, really appreciate them. That's when I, I, soon after that, I started my Peace Finalism channel. So yeah, I I really enjoy the most dangerous superstition. Um, is very powerful, and um, yeah, the, the myth of authority permeates every facet of our lives. Um, so much so that people you know overlook it, like the giant elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's yeah, that's how I stumbled on you, and um, and uh, yeah, and then I discovered you know I, you, you made the Jones Plantation years ago. And that was a great videos amongst your other. Oh, by the way, I homeschool my kids. I have a, a 10 year old son and an eight year old daughter. And, and so, um, you know, we do the Tuttle Twins. I'm sure you guys are familiar. Tuttle Twins, uh, books by yeah. Connor Boyack. Awesome set of books. They, we've been reading that. And, uh, when I told them about your film or upcoming film, um, I had them watch your videos as part of their homeschooling program <laughs> or maybe unschooling, you could say. Um, I had them watch the Jones Plantation, the Tiny Dot. Um, if you were king and how to be a crook <laughs> for starters. <laughs> That's great. And, say again. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And they loved it uh so much. I mean, you know, the Jones Plantation, even though it's like it's like um animated, it's like got some intense messaging there, you know? And uh, maybe I don't even think that they got it all, but I just wanted to expose them to uh, them to that. Um and uh, I look forward to watching that movie with them definitely so yeah so i donated and um yeah i want to help you spread the message so yeah if you can get into maybe a, a little bit of just a little bit of your background and how you came to anarchism volunteerism and then we'll we'll get into the uh, the drones plantation sure well i got there a little before you because i'm ancient <laughs> <laughs> I, I became an anarchist in 1996 
Um, I was basically sort of conservative constitutionalist leaning status back then. Um, but I like to argue with people. And when I argue with people, I like my position to not be self-contradictory and stupid. And I noticed that whenever I argued against forms of statism, like socialism, this and that, the other thing, I did a great job. But when I tried to make excuses for the little bit of government I wanted, uh, it felt sort of weird and lame and like I was using the same arguments I was arguing against when it came to other stuff. Um, and so it wasn't even, it wasn't even like some anarchist pushed, pushed me over the edge. It was really a matter of fine tuning my own belief system and my own arguments to actually be consistent. And then I accidentally noticed at some point that I had whittled down um, you know, ideal government to the point that it isn't government it anymore. Wasn't government. It's just, it's just people being people. And then I realized, whoops, that kind of makes me an anarchist. And one of the, one of the different things um, about my journey there um, is I think the vast majority of people I know became anarchists because they decided the world would work better without a ruling class than it would with one, which is totally true. I got there by figuring out there can't be a legitimate ruling class, whether we want it or not, whether we need it or not. So to me, it was less choosing between A and B and more figuring out that Santa Claus isn't real and going, oh, well, I, I believe in a world without Santa Claus because that's all there is and has ever been. And anarchy is all there has been and ever been and ever will be. But people imagine authority, which just isn't real. And so I accidentally realized it isn't even a choice. Like, I guess you have a choice between being utterly delusional and accepting reality, but there isn't really a choice between whether we have government or not, a righteous ruling class. There just, there can't be that. And so I was like, oh, well, I guess that's, that's what is. There's no such thing as a legitimate government. There's just gangs and different forms of control freaks that have reorganized themselves and use language to euphemistically cover up what they're doing, but they're still a gang, and gangs rob and kill and kidnap and steal, and that's what they do. So once you realize that, it's like, oh, that's, and for me, it was, I was, you know, I'm younger, I'm, I'm 33, and it was way later for me, but it was also early for me in my life in terms of, you know, I was still only in my 20s in 2012 when I came upon, like, I was looking through stuff on the internet. It was one of those rabbit hole things. It started with a, I think he like a more new agey guy. I'm trying to remember his name, David Wilcock or something like that. Okay. He had like a book out there about some stuff. Anyway, he kind of went down the rabbit hole in a, in a more David Icke type of way. Um, and I, that was just something weird I was reading where I didn't really know what I was looking at. And I remember going down the, Oh, the history of the monetary system as relates to China. Um, in particular. And that started me down this path that led to, you know, me being interested in Ron Paul and what he's doing and then listening to how Ron Paul is talking and going, okay, well that, that sounds right. Or that sounds better than what these other, this left and right thing is doing over here. And then I hadn't really thought about the idea of a world without government at that point. It was just, you know, Ron Paul is talking about Liberty and I'm like, okay, well that sounds better. And then um, I found a video called the philosophy of Liberty which you probably know of that's like eight minutes long. Best yeah, video ever. Yeah. Awesome video. And yeah. It, you're right. It's just like, it, it's so great because visually speaking, 
it gets past people's biases. There aren't people in the video. It's just these stick figures. So it represents people with stick figures. And it's like here, you know, you exist in time. And then there's your space around you, the product of your time and your free will and what you choose to do. And, and this is how self-ownership works. And it builds it up logically all the way to the conclusion of you don't have the right to control anyone else but you. And they don't have the right to own you and explaining how that works. And I didn't really realize what I was watching. It was one of those things where I knew what I was watching going, wow, that makes perfect sense. And then it was days later that I was just mulling over that video in my head and going over it, that it was like, okay, I'm, I'm really trying to think of a scenario where person A and person B are interacting and somehow a third party person C gets to force their way into the interaction and I can't think of one where that's morally justified. <laughs> right. And I was applying the video's principles to every interaction. And I realized, well, every interaction at any scale ultimately comes down to one-on-one. There's just a bunch of one-on-one interactions happening all the time. Um, but really every interaction is a one-on-one on some level. And then no third party gets to force their way in if neither person of the other two invited them into the transaction. And then my brain just went, oh, well, mathematically speaking, then no government. Mm. Because they would be any version of a third party. And that means none of them can be legitimate. And then my brain just went like, and I remember the moment because my brain was like, uh, there's a word for this. There's a word for this. What is it? What is it? What am I? What is this? This is a, you know, and then, and my brain's like, is it anarchy? And my brain's like, yeah, but wasn't that that weird, like punk, you know? Those are those violent people on the media. Yeah, and then my brain's like, yeah, but wasn't anarchy like somehow supposed to mean something slightly negative? And my brain's like, yeah, but anarchy is the only word that's coming to mind. And I had to Google it. I had to like look it up like, does that mean what I think it means? And then I'm like, oh, I'm an actual anarchist, turns out. (laughs) Yeah. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, One one interesting uh, criticism that I, I, I've been um, confronted with recently because my son, he's 10 years old, he's into space, right? And space travel and, you know, um, going to the moon, going to Mars, you know, he's into all that. He's been watching stuff on Netflix about that. And, and so um, we saw recently, just like yesterday, we saw the, um, there was this 45 minute uh, little documentary about Elon Musk and his um, attempts to go to Mars. And, um, and I was talking to Marcus and I said, uh, what do you think is the difference between um, the government trying to, um, you know, do space travel and a private company? Although I think, I think Elon Musk does receive some like subsidies or tax breaks or something, but he's much more private than NASA. Right. So, so I'm like, what, oh, yeah. what, um, what is the difference? You know, why is it that he's able to do something so much cheaper and more efficiently than the state? And I'm always you know, giving my kids these thought experiments, right? Because it's so important to get them thinking about that stuff. Like, like, cause so many people think they have this idea, right? That the state is some entity that has limitless resources. You know, if a private individual or a private company can do it, of course, we're going to get the state to do it, right? Because they have the printing press and they can force people to fund it through taxation. Why wouldn't we get the state to do it? That's an awesome idea. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, space travel is one of the, is right now is proving to be um, explaining why, why that's such a horrible reason, you know, like, like just look at the amount of cause, like, like uh, the, the state, I don't know the, how many billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars. And then, and then Elon Musk does it for like maybe a billion or less than a billion of his own money. 
and not even like taking other people's money. And it's just, and it's amazing. So. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is I think people forget when they ask these questions, they're still forgetting what the state is. It's like, well, the state's goal has never been to serve people. The state's goal is to siphon. So they're not trying to do things efficiently. They're trying to justify spending and by spending it means lining their pockets and literally just having lavish lifestyles on the dime of the you know those that are extorted the tax taxpayer just the extorted ones so yeah it's totally people forget that government wouldn't have any incentive to do anything efficiently or cost effectively why would it it's a literally a a theft scam and that's that's it right and we don't have a parallel universe so people often do the thing of well if not for government we couldn't have had satellites or never gone to the moon or you know whatever and they don't they don't realize that if government hadn't been stealing trillions of dollars all the time and you know squelching technologies and doing all sorts of stuff this may have happened ages ago but Mm. people sort of think that they fall for the trick of, well, government is doing this right now. Therefore, if it wasn't there, nobody would be doing that. It's, that doesn't follow at all. It's like somebody in the Soviet Union saying, well, yeah, we're standing in line for hours for some, you know, moldy bread. But if not for government, nobody would feed us. It's like, <laughs> well, yes, they would. It would just be a lot better. Yeah. But people's imaginations are just so bad most of the time. They just sort of think, well, if government's doing it, then removing government means no more that. Like, my roads. Well, there's always been private, regular individuals around the world that innovate and create. And it's like the Wright brothers and all these people that made these major innovations throughout human history. And government's just control freaks that don't actually have any innovative creativity, anything. They're usually dumbed down morons that have to go, oh, that guy's got a cool idea. Um, Quick, let's see how, how can we get our hands on it and like make it ours. And if you have a bunch of people believing in this concept of authority, then that attracts all the control freaks and shit heels that want to do sketchy stuff like that they want to go steal from the innovator so government's always taken the private innovative ideas botched them up made them worse mm. held back any more innovation <laughs> and then suppressed the next innovator that comes along yeah. so you and know. then people go thank goodness we have government to give not us for government things. who would build the roads <laughs> um if not for government we'd probably be in flying cars all over the place the and we wouldn't even have freaking roads anyway so <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember a joke. Uh, somebody said like um, two people are standing in line in the in, in the bread line at the at, in, during Soviet Union, and, and they're like, they're like, um, you know, the lines are so long here. But they, but the other guy's like, imagine imagine United States, so the government doesn't give us any bread. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all it's all a matter yeah. of perspective. Yeah, yeah. That's called. I, you know what? One thing I I tend to focus on a lot when I talk to people is logical fallacies so many people commit these when they talk about statism and like you know you said government has been doing something so you know therefore that it's the only entity that can do it there you know that would be the appeal to antiquity fallacy right so just because the same thing like you know before cell phones were invented so you know we never had cell phones how can we possibly create something we can call people without a a wire how is that nobody's ever created that exactly it's called innovation It's never been, therefore it never will be. Like, what a bad way to look at the world. To be fair, the the guy that the government stole a bunch of his ideas from and also burned a bunch of his records was Nikola Tesla, and he predicted smartphones. I mean, he was like, everybody's going to be talking to each other across the globe with these things in our hands. Everybody was like, (laughs) you're crazy. (laughs) And and it's funny because government's always been the inefficient, 
old morons holding, literally holding back innovation in society. You, they demonized the internet when it first came out. They tried to call it a fad. They tried to demonize email. They tried to make it out to be this temporary joke because governments don't want people communicating across globally instantly. They don't mm, want that at all. Right, they can't play right. their game. Like this is a faction war that they that they profit off of. They need then to things keep... like this happen. <laughs> well, right. We talk to Russia and we figure out, oh, a bunch of Russians don't randomly want me, random American guy, dead. Oh, a bunch of Chinese people don't actually want me dead. Oh, they're not the enemy. Maybe it's our governments trying to pit us against each other. So they've always been anti-technology. They've always tried to either control it or demonize it or make fun of it. So anything innovative that's heading towards freedom, governments have always been... You know, it's it's funny to me now that I look that I ever thought or anybody's ever thought that they were the originator of some great technological privilege we now yeah. have. It's like mm, no. Fortunately, government is incredibly incompetent, so that as much as they try to steal technologies and corner things and suppress technologies and stuff, like the free market still kicks their butt all over the place. Like, oh, we spent. 12 gajillion dollars and invented something that's as big as a house and okay and then some private company five minutes later is like look we did it. it's this big cost five bucks <laughs> yeah in the long run government loses every time yeah i mean talking about nikola tesla like i think um there was like the uh there was a rivalry between him and um who's the other guy um the guy who created the uh do you remember um forget the guy the guy Edison? Edison, right, Edison, yeah. And I think the only reason that Edison won out was because he had some kind of state monopoly um on yeah. like the copper wiring and, and something to do with JP Morgan as well, where they were working yeah. together to 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 forcefully prohibit competition, right? Something like that. Yeah. So so again, the state the state squashing innovation. And mm-hmm. you know, if and, and and again, if it wasn't for that who knows how soon, how much sooner we could have had wireless technology. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's so sad. It, government basically destroys the potential. You never even know what could have happened. We never know. Yeah. And because we don't have that parallel universe, it's easy for people to just let their crappy imaginations make them think we wouldn't have all this if not for government. No, we would have something way better if and not for government. It's funny because government comes in and takes the credit and teaches kids through its fund funded schools that it's the the reason things exist and then you find out you actually grow up and go out in the real world and you're like okay so private developers and construction companies built all of these neighborhoods and roads and (laughs) and a bunch of these roads all the way that go here and here and here and here that was all developed by private interests why does the government get to come in and pretend they did that? Like, right. why are they taking credit for things that were in this country long before government had any yeah. hand in anything? They they rob us and go pay the same people to do it, and then they take credit for them existing. It's like right. it's ridiculous. Right. It's, I explain that phenomenon as uh, as the person who jumps in front of the parade and then claims credit for the parade. <laughs> right. Look what I made happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the one leading it. Um, so, so yeah. So on that note um, of the state and all of the uh, the, the chickenry and deception that they uh, are involved in, um, can you explain the the Jones Plantation and what what was your goal, where uh, your initial goal with with the video? What were you trying to portray? Well, the first one, and that was I think eight years ago that we made the little animated one. It's like twelve minutes long or something. Um, I wanted to demonstrate how much um, 
control and enslavement isn't about physical domination. It's about mental deception and, and domination and, and, and all the nasty tricks they play. And I use the example of a, a slave plantation. Uh, there's actually, there's a cool book. Turns out it's totally fake. Um, the <laughs> Willie, Willie Lynch, something about basically an instructor for uh, an instruction thing for, for slave owners. And uh, I think it was totally fake, but it was actually, it had a bunch of truth in it. Hmm. I don't even think, I think I may or may not have read that before I did the Jones plantation. But the point is, if you can, if you can take people who are physically enslaved and basically keep their situation exactly the same, but describe it differently so they feel differently about it, then they are way less likely to, to be uppity and rebellious and try to run away or kill the master or any of that. So it's a demonstration of how the subjects of abuse and state oppression and victimhood and basically all that, it's showing how that all has to do with the perception of the subject. So if the subject perceives it a certain way, likely to get violent. If the subject perceives it this way, not likely to get violent. And in so doing, he's trying to reveal how you know, the people that think of themselves as masters over other humans, how they really think and how they manipulate the world. Yeah, how they play the the mind control games and they do it quite well and how they do democracy will give you one of two jackboots to choose from to be on your neck. And then you'll think, oh, well, I have some say in it and I'm choosing them and they're representing me and all the silly mythology we're taught. So the the animated one was just a short thing. I actually, I wrote it, somebody else illustrated it, and then somebody else narrated it. So I, you know, I had the easy job. <laughs> I just wrote it then threw it at, at two people I know, um, one an artist and one a narrator, and then I edited it together. Um, and that has like 300,000 views and stuff. Um, and a bunch of people have said, well, that was so powerful. Um, and it was only recently, I wish I had thought of it, but but the guy who's the director um andrew he met him at anarchopolco this year yeah he he interviewed me um like a year ago almost a year ago now um and about other stuff and then he was checking out my stuff and saw that and it was his idea and said what do you think of making the jones plantation into a full movie and then i thought about it for two seconds and i was like why didn't i think of that because there's (laughs) so much more opportunity to really get into the the just the creepy ways in which the, like in the real world, the actual politicians and the rulers all over the world for like thousands of years have done the mind control tricks. And the beauty of it is if you tell it in the form of, here's a story happening on a slave plantation of just this, you know, sneaky psychopath who knows how to keep the slaves in line by deceiving them and playing these tricks. Um, on the one hand, it doesn't put people on guard because it's like, oh, this is a story about how mean that guy was to those people over there at that time. But also nobody's going to be able to miss the fact that, that you know, by the end of watching the movie, my goal is basically by the end of watching the movie, everyone's going to go out and every political ad they see and every newscast they see, they'll go, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what that is. And they'll start to recognize it everywhere in the real world of that's what they're doing to us. Like that's real life, even though it was just a fictional story that I went and saw. And it's, but it's so fun to really delve into the, 
the true creepy depths, which the animated version couldn't do. Like there wasn't time. It's, it's a very simplified version, mm. but in this, you know, a real, you know, a, a live action, as they call it, it, this one won't be animated a live action movie. You can really get into the mentality of what these people think like, not, not just the politicians. And we actually have the, the equivalent of there's the stupid politicians who are power happy, but then there's the real psychos behind the scene who know how to really play the game of manipulation and propaganda and divide and conquer and all that. And being able to show that down to the detail of here's how they do it without saying, here's how they do it. Tell it in the form of a story, Mm. but everybody at the end is going to go, that's how they do it. Mm. Yep. And it's one of those things where we were like, kind of like, duh, this should be a movie. And we, and Larkin was actually, frustrated that he hadn't thought of it before because the Jones plantation is genius for the reason that he said it's not like the iron web, the book and the iron web as a movie would be great, except it's very like with the message of, you know, self ownership and kind (laughs) of in a way that is not as palatable as the Jones plantation. There's so many layers of the Jones plantation for obvious reasons, especially with the slavery thing and, and things that the, the media is trying to push publicly right now. There's so every subculture in America would watch the Jones Plantation if they got their hands on it. They they wouldn't have a reason to not be attracted to the movie. And it's so it's an ideological kind of candles in the dark or Trojan horse. The way we talk to people and just use questions to bring out of them a realization. This movie is just going to, you know, smuggle in a realization that they don't really see coming in the arrangement of the movie. And so we were just like, this feels so right. This needs to be done. But then you know, the director, Andrew, came to us and was like, not only does this need to be done, but I, you know, I'm a director and I have connections to the right people who could put this together for a smaller budget. You know, it doesn't need to be a multi-million dollar movie and we can do it well. And, you know, and there's, because of this stupid crap the government pushed with this fake COVID crisis, I have all these actor friends that are good, that are out of work and hungry to do something right now. So it's just, it, it's kind of coming together as, wow, this makes sense to do. And the climate we're in right now makes sense to do this. And it could have a niche following. It could be community funded and, you know, really do well in it, in its own arena, even if it doesn't get super huge and it could just naturally take off. It could have its own viral um, sort of following because it is one of those movies that because of the content, because of what it's based on, you know, every scene, every line is going to mean something and have substance. You know, there's no good, there's going to be no filler scenes, no filler content, you know, yeah. any of that. It's going to be very, um, in, it's going to be very real and raw and intense. There isn't going to be anything that feels fake or like we just needed to put that there to fill time. Right. And I've been having a blast writing the screenplay, um, which I was doing for many weeks and we don't have any funding yet. The Indiegogo is, you know, cruising along nicely. I think we're over 21,000 now. Um, our overall goal is 125,000 to do like the whole thing right. Now we don't, we can get a bunch less than that and shoot it and then worry about post production and getting funding for that. And so it isn't like either we get to 125 or uh, nothing happens. Right, right. So we're, we're on our way to, to making it happen. But I, I literally couldn't stop myself from working on the screenplay, um, even before we've, you know, received a dime of funding because there's so many ways to, to show and express and reveal the tricks. And what I love about it is it it gives a perfect stage where some of the scenes are 
what the slaves get to see. It's the, you know, nice, compassionate guy explaining how we want to help you and we're working together for the common good and blah, blah, blah. And this is to benefit all of us. So you get the perspective, you know, you get to see the puppet show from the outside and then you get to see behind the scenes and the puppet masters talking to each other of here's what we're doing and here's why. Um, Do you want to kind of give this an synopsis and just say, okay, so it's, for those who haven't seen it, it's basically this, Mr. Jones. Has it's, yeah, if anybody hasn't seen that, well, we could also just give the link to the plantation, um, to the Jones plantation, the animated version. Um, but it's basically there's, you know, Mr. Jones owns this plantation and he's just sort of old school slave owner where you do what I say or I whip you. And, but he's having, having trouble and the slaves are getting uppity and, and disobedient. And there's like almost an uprising and stuff. Um, and a guy named Mr. Smith comes along and he's like this creepy sociopath consultant of sorts. And he basically tells Mr. Jones, if you do it my way, your slave problems will disappear. He's totally this smooth talking, well-dressed, very well-off, narcissistic, psychopathic businessman. And he's also black. In the movie, yeah, in the movie, he's he going to be black. He's going to also be a former slave, which which creeps out the uh, creeps out Mr. Jones. He's like, "Hey, how can you talk down to me?" But it makes for a fun dynamic where they're sort of even at odds with each other. <laughs> but then he, because he has to explain to Mr. Jones why he's doing what he's doing, and the some of the fun is that he doesn't tell him ahead of time, and he does something, and Mr. Jones is like, "You just freed my slaves," and he's. No, I didn't. I told them they're free. They're still here, aren't they? And I got them to work even harder. And like the only difference is the words we use and what they think the reality is. So a lot of times Mr. Jones is sort of surprised and taken aback. Like, what are you doing? He's sort of like the old idiot version of a tyrant who rules by brute force compared to the clever evil sociopaths, you know, you don't do it by brute force. That's so limiting. And, you know, they're going to lop your head off one day. But if you do it this way, you can oppress them just as much. You can make them, you know, produce for you just as much. You can rob them just as much. And they will love you and feel indebted to you and worship you and be more productive for you. You just have to know how to manage them. Um, and I'll, I'll throw in this little spoiler. It's not really much of a spoiler. Um, <laughs> this doesn't happen in the animated one. In the In the movie, Mr. Smith explains... I go by Mr. Smith, but that's not my real name, but I consider myself a smith of sorts, just as an ironsmith forges iron into the best tools he can, I'm a slave smith, and I forge slaves into the most useful tools for their owners, <laughs> and so there's that little creepy moment, <laughs> um, and, but it's fun to, to, to go back and forth between Mr. Jones, who's like, what are you doing, and then and then, of course, they do the, the voting thing is we're going to bring in your cousin and let them vote. And Mr. Jones is like, what are you doing? You're letting my slaves vote. He's and like, nothing's going to change. They're, they're voting still... between Mr. Jones running the plantation or Mr. Jones's cousin running the plantation. Right. And he's like, you're still going to run it. This is so they have. And he, he explains little little things along the way. So Mr. Jones is sort of in the position of, you know, old school doesn't know what's going on. So he's, even though he's not at all sympathetic, because he's a, you know, nasty slave owner, um, but it's sort of, it's a way to help the audience go through, like, how would that, oh, that's why they're doing that, and that's why, you know, all these things that sound so good of, you're free, and you're allowed to work for yourself, and, and you're, you can vote for who's in charge, and all these things that sound so nice, 
and they get to see, oh, holy smokes, all that did was trick them into being easier to enslave. And, and you know, one of the, the main characters is a young slave that notices what's going on, and he catches on to the ruse, and there's even a really profound and um, just perfect scene that Larkin's loving writing where <laughs> where he can try to confront Mr. Smith. And Mr. Smith, it's an opportunity to just spell out that backdoor evil mentality of how things really work and how the ruling class really does see us because, you know, Mr. Smith is like, oh, you're going to go out there and tell everyone what I'm doing? Go ahead. I'll go join you and I'll act shocked. I'll go introduce you and invite you out. You would dare (laughs) accuse me of this and I'll say this and this and this and I'll, and, and they're going to basically like, totally you alive and not want right. to still work they're gonna love me and hate you because you're trying to tell them the truth they don't want that part i'm pretty sure all the pro-freedom people are gonna cringe because they're gonna be like <laughs> yep <laughs> i go out there and i try to free them and they hate me and they defend their oppressors right right so, and it's gonna it's gonna be something that you know like the it's that it's that way to it's fun to write the evil mr smith you said just because yeah you know how they think you get that psychology. So you get to expose it this way. He's getting to really get, you know, as, as nasty and as dark as they really, the worst of those people think the manipulators that set this sort of thing up. And it's going to, that's why it's going to be so much fun because under, again, under the, you know, Oh, another time, another place, a slave plantation in the South, you're bringing into the reality of, Oh crap, this is, right here in modern day and we're still dealing with right. those mindsets so when i when i write a particularly good part of mr smith's propaganda i'm like yes that was perfect and now i feel like <laughs> i can punch myself in the face or something but yeah, it, he gets so grossed out he like he like, like something and he comes over good. and he like cackles at it and then he's like but the fun part is to be able to show that so, so you know, the, the viewer sees what the slaves are seeing and goes, wow, that sounds really good. And then the viewer's like, oh, my God, that's what, oh, that's yeah. what they do to us all the time. <laughs> but they get to see behind the curtain in between scenes and, and going back and forth, I think, is going to be really existentially disturbing for the average oh, viewer you, it's supposed to be you also decided that um so mr smith should be black he's a former slave you find out at some point later on how powerful he is and how crazy he is and how he got to that level of psychopathy and that mm. he took out his former master and made it look like an, uh he never did it and you find out his former master had the last name morgan um and there's, <laughs> no, like there's nothing else hinted at um besides <laughs> that um, and then the fun thing about Mr. Smith is he shows up, um, he's very eccentric and well-dressed and he shows up carrying a freaking snake. He has a snake that he's got, he's got with him that's on around his neck. And he uses this analogy with Mr. Jones, where he's trying to explain to Mr. Jones, you know, old school tyrant, just hit him with the whip. You know, you're not, you're not dealing with animals, you're dealing with people and people are different because an, an ox doesn't know what you mean if you say, do that or I'll kill you next week. Like you have to hit it you know, and a human's different. And he takes a snake and he's like, you know, the slaves are kind of, you know, in a way they're sort of more like how this snake is in the way that you have to treat them. He's like, the snake will try to snap and bite me and get away if I just pick it up and squeeze it. If you grab it uh, tight. If I just grab it tight. And he's like, but I, but if I'm holding it like this and I let it move forward across my hands and I just put one hand in front of the other and one hand in front of the other and one hand in front of the other, 
it thinks it has it has freedom of movement. It feels like it's going somewhere and it gets to move and it's not running away, but it's just tiring itself out, getting slowly more tired and more confused as to why it's not going anywhere, even though it's still moving forward across my hands. <laughs> wow. And he uses that creepy analogy to describe that, you know, if you understand how to loosely hold that control over your slaves in the right way mentally, but not in, not in a brute force way, you just tr- change their perspective of it. Yeah. They'll actually stay and they'll predictably just keep going and keep going yeah. and keep going. Give them something to waste their time and energy and focus on like voting. And eventually they're just sort of confused and exhausted and complacent, but they're not violent because, well, all you have to do is slither that way. It's like, yeah, but I never get any. Oh, well. <laughs> You know, the, no, I like it. Uh, sorry, no, yeah, I was going to say the idea that uh, what's so powerful about what you're doing is that you're conveying this idea that that the fundamental um, strength of the state is not brute force, right? But it's right. it's indoctrination. It's in the minds of the people. That is so powerful. I think even people who are, um, you know, loosely freedom minded, let's say like, you know, like... Um, um, you know, Tea Party people and Gadsden flag type people, small government type people. Um, I think they they don't they don't really understand that they 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 still kind of think that the the strength of the state is in the brute force and that you know if we don't yeah. do what they say they will enact martial law and there will be soldiers on every street corner all across the state all across the the country right and 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 you know i think your your video the tiny dot puts that into perspective right just how many people there are and then how many um agents of the state there are you know police and military and that it's yeah. just impossible for them to do that. they can concentrate in small portions of the yeah, united right. states and exercise their might and and frighten people but it's really impossible to enact martial laws um countrywide and yeah. so you yeah. guys are displaying. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go, sorry. And what I love about the movie is there's so many ways to sneak the stuff in because there's a there's a scene between Mr. Smith and Samuel, who's the slave who starts to figure out this is, and Mr. Smith just admits he basically does a version of the tiny dot mm. and says like I have this revolver. There's six bullets in it. There's forty slaves out there, but they're not doing anything. <laughs> like they're not resisting me. And and you know. As time goes by, he, you see how he gets spies in the slaves. He's just like, I just, I want to know what's on the slave's mind. So I'll pay you a little bit to let me know. Mm-hmm. And then the overseers have, like, there's going to be, I think, a couple of, uh, Irish indentured servants and they sort of feel above the slaves. And then some of the slaves are supervisors and feel above some of the other slaves. And they're always pitting them against each other and they make a pyramid. Um, where it's, you know, so there's, there's the, these ones, cause you know, in real life, the cops and the soldiers, they're just us. Like the rulers got some of us to oppress the rest of us and do this little power game and make, you know, make some of us feel that little bit of power and, and privilege so that they want to lord it over others. But you get to see them. And, and I love it because it starts as just, there's just a slave plantation that ruled by brute force. You get to see Mr. Smith build the equivalent of the u.s system from scratch building these pyramids building the parties you know causing confrontation doing the fear-mongering thing in so many different ways such that people you know even even really dense people aren't going to be able to miss the fact that holy smokes that's he basically built what we have 
And we are doing exactly what the slaves are doing, being duped into being, you know, mad at each other. And the ones with a little bit of power look down on the ones with no power. And and the ones with no power get mad at the ones with a little bit of power, even though, you know, meanwhile, the guy at the top, half of them, like, love and cheer for. Because, like, well, he's there for our interests and looking out for us. It's like, uh, he's really, he's literally the only problem and you're too dumb to see that. You're mad then, at everybody then, else except the guy who's the entire problem. The final, the final, you know, clincher and the final hit to the gut is, you know, that that what happens at the Jones Plantation, which is that ultimately the slaves that believe in their oppressors will totally cheer for a fellow slave dying because he tried to expose the oppressor. Yeah. And now we and, will do. I mean. People have seen that it doesn't count as a spoiler because it's it's in the animated one. We did figure out a way to make there be a ray of of, of hope at the end and yes. something optimistic. But Andrew and I both said, this is a bit of a spoiler, Andrew, the director, we both said Samuel has to die. One of the most powerful things is making the audience watch the scene where the truth teller gets crucified to the cheers of his fellow slaves, because that's the reality of it. And I want the average viewer to realize, holy crap, I would have been one of them. I would have been one of them in the crowd. I'm not the brave guy standing up for truth and freedom. I'm the guy cheering as he gets whipped to death. But we also said, we don't want it to be that freaking depressing at the end. So there's also, there's a, it's a, it's a devastating slash happy ending. (laughs) And I won't say how, but we both, but Andrew and I both agreed, Samuel has to die. It the can't most, be, don't worry, he gets saved at the end. It has to be that devastating to the viewer to realize, oh my God, Mr. Smith got all his victims to cheer for one of his victims being killed. Because that's the reality that we live in and it needs to be shown as, well, as, it, it's also going to be a, um, keep in mind like 80% of this country identifies as some form of Christian. Mm-hmm. And they don't support the idea of a Christ-like person at all. They support the yeah. same state that killed Christ, and they support the state mm-hmm. that kills people trying to expose the state all the time the way Christ was doing it in his day. He was doing a version of yeah. that in every way he spoke. And people that didn't pay attention to what they were reading when they read their Bible don't notice that. But that's exactly what first like, in line to crucify all the today. Christians I know that became anarchists and then went back and read their Bibles were like, well, well, looks like we haven't come very far then <laughs> because <laughs> right. that's that's totally what happened. They, you know, and, and so there's a level of there's a level of, you know, oh, this is going to hit so many people with. But there's so many different subcultures in this country, but one of the biggest subcultures is the ones that call themselves Christians and then support the state. And it'll be another uncomfortable version of them being reminded the thing they're pounded in their head, you know, every day is, you know, Christ died for your sins, Christ died for this, Christ died for that. And it's going to look so creepily parallel to that scenario. They're going to have also a hard time not you know, again, the cognitive dissonance, which we're trying to get to sit, so we're trying to set that off in people's heads. That's going to be just probably set off left, right, and center with the Christian crowd too. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the quote, the, the quote that encapsulates that idea in my mind is, um, I forget who said it, but it's like truth tellers are uh, celebrated in history and condemned by their contemporaries. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's so sad. They're always giving credit after they're freaking dead and right. usually die by <laughs> yeah. the same hands of, you know, people that should have been on their side and later on end up going, oh, right. well, they were right. And that, that reminds me, cause the uh, Mr. Smith is going to be so well-educated and well-read, even though he's self-made man. He started as a, a slave. Um, he's sort of like an evil version of, of Frederick Douglass. <laughs> Frederick Douglass is a sociopath. <laughs> That's who he would have been. Um, but he gets to, to sneak in some quotes that are, you know, obviously can only be quotes older than slave days. But he mentions Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. I have to make sure I know how to pronounce that. The none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. And so he actually, he mentions that when he's explaining something to Mr. Jones and he's like, cause Mr. Jones is like, now they think they're free. And it's like, yeah, but they're not, which means mm. they're less free than they were yesterday. Mm. And so he sort of, you know, he gets to explain little things like that to Mr. Jones is like, if they're doing the exact same thing and feel like they're free, all it means is they're not going to revolt and resist because they don't even think there's anything to resist. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's fun to be able to, to sneak in quotes. They have to be really old quotes, but like he's, he's well read enough that he can, he can mention these creepy little things. Yeah. People like um, Harriet Tubman and, and, and Frederick Douglass um, are celebrated today, you know, and they were the, they were the um, criminals, outlaws, the, you know, of, of the past condemned by their, <laughs> condemned by their contemporaries at the time. And now, yes. and now what the, the state wants to put Harriet Tubman on like what the hundred dollar bill or something like that. I heard a little late, a little late for that. Like, <laughs> the, the state, like statists always do the thing where, and the state always does the thing where when they realize that, you know, their, their past uh, oppressive sins have now gotten so unpopular that they're feeling threatened and in danger of being looked at as a current also, you know, still being an oppressor. What the state does is it always goes, oh, yeah, well, well, yeah, well, now we acknowledge that we were definitely super oppressive and bad, like, right then, but, like, you know, we're fine now. (laughs) And we'll show that we were acknowledging our sins by um, putting a picture of someone... The same yeah. people like us would have killed before, but you know, we'll we'll knock him. off Martin Luther King and then name some boulevards after him. After him later on, and then they'll they'll, they'll be <laughs> fine with that. It's like so insulting and yeah. disgusting how they do that every time. People fall for it. And Mr. Smith is gonna do the same thing where he he pretends to be. I understand your your love for freedom, and we're free now. But this is how we have to do things. That you know that always trying to hijack anything that the slaves get excited about instead of just, no, you're not allowed to be free. It's like, of course we want to be free, but at the same time, there have to be rules and blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. <laughs> or so, you know, there, we, we want to be free, but you know, if you just all run off and, and take off right now, none of you know how to do anything. And these other plantation owners, they're all surrounding this area and they're just going to take advantage of you and grab you along the way and steal you for themselves. And, they're not going to allow you your freedom the way we will. So you might so. as well stay here. <laughs> all the slimy tricks they do. All, all so. the obvious tricks. Yeah, you mentioned uh, about the uh, law enforcement officers are, you know, you know, so many people are directing their anger at police and law enforcement. And just like you said, they are merely just people, you know, regular people that have been duped into believing 
that the state is legitimate and their mandates must be enforced. And so it's like it's like it's like even worse than horizontal enforcement because they're like they're like acting on behalf of the state enforcing the mandates, right? And and I talked about this recently with my kids because we were watching the movie The Pianist about um, uh, Wadek uh, Spielman, the Polish pianist during World War II in, in Holocaust time. And what was amazing was um, when they were put into the ghetto, uh, all the Jews were in the ghetto in Poland. And then, and then um, you know, they're all suffering and, you know, starving and everything. And then this one of the Jews that came to his um, his apartment, um, he was a, um, I forget what you call it. I guess they call it the Jewish police. And so yeah. he was he was trying to, um, recruit other Jews to be enforcers of the state, you know, yep. and, and and oppressing their own people, which is just simply amazing. I was talking to Mark, my son about that. Like, isn't that amazing? Like Jewish people oppressing their own people on behalf of an occupying, um, you know, nation, and and <laughs> and how yeah. how diabolical that is. And it really happened. And it like in in France, the uh, I don't know the. Oh, the, the the movie The Eyes of Vichy, the, the the collaborator government of France after they got invaded by the Nazis. And then the French government is, don't worry, we'll be obedient and we'll help beat up our own people. If you, you know, we'll kiss your ass, you know, German authorities, if you'll let us keep this amount of power. And it's just, it's so creepy how much that happens because it isn't even about, you know, it's just about the power. It's not even about race or nationality or anything. There are some people who will sell their souls to have a little bit of power. And so we're going to, we're going to do that thing where the, you know, the, you know, there's the, the enforcers that used to be slaves and they get out of line and people get mad at them. And Mr. Smith comes along and goes, Oh, he stepped out of line. That was not okay. He must be like pretending to be on the side of the victim. He's your thug, but people still fall for that. When politicians go, we're very concerned about police abuse. No, you're stinking not. <laughs> like, they're there doing what you told them to do, and now you're pretending you give a damn that they're abusing the people you if, paid them to abuse. If, if they care about anything, they care about their image and how it looks, Yeah. and they care about, you know, it's like they care about, they're going to say that, oh, we're concerned about it, to look like they're concerned, and because, you know, they want to make sure that to the peasantry, this is this is almost a mind game, so the mind game, this has to look legit. It's all about the concept of, does this look like we're somehow legitimately here to serve you. Well, they have to look legitimate by pretending to give a crap about the quality of their enforcers. Yeah. So they're going to say that they give a crap about that, even yeah. though they have no incentive to. And I love the fact that, you know, if we if we make an hour and a half movie, it'll be somewhere around there. It'll be a normal movie. There's so much room to cover so many of these things and show them, and you know, by way of analogy of Mr. Smith doing all the slimy tricks that the, you know, the average person who watches the movie will be, you know, for a while, they're just in the story, and they're like, wow, this guy is a slimy, sneaky bastard, and this is some clever stuff, and they're falling for it, and, you know, the, the viewer's wincing every time the slaves fall for it, and every time there's, you know, they're seeing it from the slave's point of view, and it sounds so lovely and, and compassionate, and blah, 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 and then, you know, after watching it later, they're, like, <laughs> watching politics, and they're like, oh, so the politician talking about police abuse, oh, yeah, and I think there's, you know, things will be dawning on people for just months and years later that holy smokes, okay, that's happening here too. Yeah, the movie will hit them in layers, sort of like the the movie The Matrix and even V for Vendetta 
somehow it sailed over a lot of people's heads when it, they first watched it, and then they later on were like, oh, right, <laughs> okay. And, right. and like they, and I don't know how people totally miss that stuff. I saw parallels, but but people still, they have that where something, it doesn't hit them on every layer nearly at first, and then right. it just comes in waves, and this, this movie is totally going to have that effect because it's not – yeah, you know, like I said, when when you remove the time and place and you put it into a common thing, people are used to seeing like, oh, slave plantation situation. Okay, I know how this is gonna go. And then the first scene, you know, the first the movie opens with Mr. Jones having a problem with the slaves being all riled up and uppity, and Mr. Smith showing up, and you get to see Mr. Smith totally snap into two different, you know, the Jekyll Hyde thing snapping into two different modes, which is. You know, hello everyone. Today's your lucky day. I'm here to save you. I'm buying this plantation. And he literally turns around immediately to Mr. Jones and like his face to Mr. Jones is like, you're going to shut the fuck up and you're going to say nothing and you're going to listen to everything I do because I'm saving your ass or your neck is about to be, you know, split. And he just basically is like, you have to go along with everything I say. And then turns back around and is like, you know, I'm buying this whole plantation and you're You're all free free. now and it's going to be great. So it's totally that split thing. The audience is going to get to see that too. And And I, I love keeping Mr. Jones always a couple steps behind. Like he never quite knows what's going on it's still and later on you realize that the you know mr smith has complete disdain for mr jones too he he knows you're just another stupid pawn in the game you're just a pawn over those other pawns um but yeah i i thought when i was first writing i was like we have to make it so that when that when mr smith does that first speech mr jones doesn't know what's going on so it's actually there's an uprising like interrupting their initial meeting when they they just started to, you know, they're in the parlor talking about stuff and a slave comes in and is like, ah, there's trouble. And they go out and Mr. Smith tells Mr. Jones, just shut up. I'll handle this. And then he does it. Mr. Jones, we just declared them to be free. What are you doing? So it's, so he gets to learn the hard way. And then, but he's always like a step or two behind Mr. Smith and trying to figure out what are you doing now? How can that possibly be a good idea? Oh, that's how, you know, it's a good idea to, let them vote and let them and and pay them and say you're not slaves anymore we're going to pay you and so it, it covers all it covers democracy and divide and conquer it even covers um monetary policy basically the equivalent of federal reserve because <laughs> he does his little he makes jones plantation credits ah very um, nice <laughs> it gets into some of that so there's so much there's so much room it's going to be really concentrated good stuff but there's so much room to drop little seeds about sort of everything about society for people to, you know, it may take them a while. Some may watch it and notice it while it's going on. Oh, holy smokes. That's exactly what they do now. Or may figure it out as, you know, later on pieces will dawn on them one at a time, but there's so much, we're going to wedge so much truth into this little fictional story. And it's, I just, I love this format for doing it. That's why I've just been, I find, I, find it, I find it so eerily uncanny how you can get into the mind of the politician and see the you know the hidden deception and tricks that they use to to garner the support of people without threatening them you know they actually support them and they put bumper stickers on their cars and they put flags on their lawns <laughs> you know yeah. it's not it's not about brute force it's a, it's about deception it's about you know, telling people that, no, I'm not robbing you. I'm 
feeding these people or we're, you know, we're, we're building this wall or we're keeping goods out of this country because this country is evil. You know, we're, so it's amazing. All the political euphemisms that are employed to um, ensure the legitimacy of the state in the minds of the people. It's just, um, it's massive. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, tell, it goes to the depths of, how brainwashed humans can be or how schizophrenic humans can be with when, when they're indoctrinated, because when you really look at how people see a lot of the state and politicians still, they don't apply any of that, you know, perception, or I can't call it reasoning. I was about to say reasoning. It's not (laughs) that you can't apply it. You can't apply the, that, that is a giant, exception to every rule of normal thinking and and when you really think about it how about the absurdity that that people don't normally just go oh that stranger that i've never met in my life i don't know anything about wearing a suit looking like they're they extra trying to convey their shit don't stink like any other salesman but if they say they're running specifically for U.S. office, they're not trying to sell me a thing. They're not any, you know, they're not a stranger on the street trying to give my kids some weird candy out of a van that, you know, but they're just some, it's like they, in any other scenario that it's not okay to trust a stranger that just says they're an awesome guy who's dressed nice and says, give me your money. But, but if they're for, trying to rule the world, but, but, it's okay. but if they want to control a bunch of your neighbors and say that they're doing it for everyone's good, <laughs> they must mean it. And you don't, it's, it's because they're a public servant. You're forgetting this, Amanda. Okay. They're public. Right. They're... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, on what grounds? Because when you look at the performative actions of any of them, they are serving no one. They're yeah. leeches. They don't serve anyone. But for some reason, humans go, yes, person who just says something, I believe you for some reason in this context. But other guy who just says he has something nice to offer me that he just made out of his van, I'm going to immediately distrust that and think it's sketchy because I don't know the person at all. And they're trying to come at me with something that they clearly need. Okay, well, politicians are just some dudes and old chicks over there in their suits trying to come at you with clearly something. They're putting a lot of media production into this, and nobody's suspicious. (laughs) So it just goes to how we have to be brainwashed to make this weird exception for literally human idolatry. Just, I worship you for no reason other than you wore a suit and put a camera at your face and said, give me attention. Right, but so many of the bits and pieces of the the political mythology were taught show up in the Jones plantation. Like they, you know, so Mr. Smith tells them, this is a little bit different than the animated one. He tells them he bought the plantation. And then, but he says, I've never run a plantation. Mr. Jones has. So we're going to keep him around for his management arrangement. Cause he knows how to, he's the only one here who's ever ran a plantation and we're going to keep him around. That, that, that part was in the original one. And, but now he's not your owner. He's serving you. He's he's using his skills and his knowledge to serve you, just, just straight out of the politician handbook. I love it. I love it. That's great. Um, great. So um, I assume I assume when you make this, vi- uh, so so you're asking for donations, but then when you finally release it, um, are you going to charge for it? Is it going to be free? Is it going to be on your YouTube channel? Where, where are you gonna Where are you gonna have it? It will be. We're actually we're actually going to go all old school and run it in a number of theaters. And ah. if you go to the the Indiegogo campaign, there's a bunch of different like levels of of donation and the perks you get. You know the way they usually do uh, movie campaigns because Andrew knows about that stuff and I knew nothing about it, so he put that thing together. 
And one of the things is to be at one of the showings at an actual theater that we're going to have in, and, you know, we're going to try to have in a bunch of different cities and, and the after party, you know, for people, I forget what the amount is, but if you don't need enough, we go, we have the screening, we watch the thing, and then we have an after party with us and the cast and the, you know, however many people are going to be there. Um, but we do want to try to make it a physical thing that people can go to for a while. Um, and then it, eventually it may end up on Netflix, but it's going to be a while. We're going to promote it ourselves. It, it'll be in DVD form and, and stuff. You know, obviously, like everything else in the world, eventually it'll get pirated and be all over the place, too. Um, I'm guessing then Andrew might know something about platforming, like having it on its own, you know, yeah. subscriber-based website for a while. In other words, where it's not yeah. on anyone's so, platform yet, but it is out there in a way people can access. Probably, yeah, so it may start there, something. but we do we do want to see it in actual theaters because I think that would be extra extra cool and powerful um, and sort of nostalgic of going to an actual movie and getting utterly traumatized. we want it to have its own very much community-based following because once you have a niche community then it can go outward from there because people that are you know you get enough of the community around it and people that have seen it and they go wow holy crap and they want all their friends to watch it and they tell their friends that that organic growth is the best growth because once it takes off from there it can't really be stopped and then with the internet people can glom onto it you know anybody in any other country can go oh cool let me grab that and dub it with my subtitles for my country and so yeah we want it to eventually gr- be grabbed by people and, and taken but we're going to put I in mean, the it, effort to make it yeah. have some launch on its own and it, it's important to, to mention even though i've mentioned a million times before um that like uh, andrew and i and both of us agree that we are in complete control of this thing like there is no movie studio that's going to say well you have to change if you Things. Like and if Sony the, came along and was like, we will give you $20 million and make all your dreams come true, but you got to let us have that screenplay, we would be like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this, this message will be pure and perfect. We'd rather, even if we didn't make a dime off of it, we'd rather the message be perfect. Mm. Um, so Andrew's the director, I'm the screenwriter. Um, and that's and, not changing. And that part is not changing. And, you know, we're right now we're in the, the fundraising stage, so we don't know who the exact actors will be and how much we even have we'll be able to, to pay people. And we, right. we do have some we do have some dreams like my fondest wish, which is, you know, seriously dreaming, would be to have Wesley Snipes be Mr. Smith and Woody Whoa. Harrelson be Mr. Jones. <laughs> and they're, they're friends in real life. They're friends and, and Wesley Snipes has in common with. You know, they're, they're friends. Woody, Woody's an anarchist. Woody's an anarchist. He's Wesley's certainly not a fan of the U.S. government, given <laughs> how they lot. treated him. Right, right. And then if, if we, it would be sort of really cool and badass to have Wesley involved because, because if Wesley's involved and then he's got, he's got Sherry Peel Jackson involved and Sherry Peel, Sherry Peel Jackson, uh-huh. Larkin and Wesley all have in common the fact that they were illegally imprisoned for a misdemeanor willful failure to file by the same U.S. government. We're not bowing to the IRS. Yeah. That same, like that, they were all three of, illegally imprisoned yeah, for that yeah. misdemeanor, and it would be interesting <laughs> to have them all working on the same movie. Wow, that'd be great. And that's, obviously that's a it's massive a big dream, shot. But we have, it's sort of like, there's indirect weird connections we have in the community where it's not, it's not totally, completely unfathomable, 
that that could that the universe could work out something cool and weird like that and, that, and the only reason we say that is because is because like we know well we know sean stone for example and sean stone's father is oliver stone um and oliver stone is responsible for having got woody harrelson on uh his role natural in natural born killers, killers. Yeah. Uh, so oliver stone you know, would have, would at least know, or at least maybe have access to Woody and Oliver Stone's father. So there's, some so there's like, I'm not getting my there's like weird it's little connections that make about. us dream about it. And mm-hmm. it's one of those, you know, mm, we don't know where this could go, <laughs> but we're saying it out loud and we're putting it out there to let people know that while we are in control of the screenplay 100% and Andrew's the director 100%, yes, the funding could suddenly change enough that we have so much funding. It goes from, well, we could do a good movie to, holy crap, we could do a really good movie and really <laughs> market it. Um, <laughs> So, you know, that could still happen. Somebody could still end up, and the actors could change it. Good actors could. It starts at really good, though. It, start, it starts at really, really we need to do a really good movie, <laughs> or we could do a stupidly, ridiculously good movie. But 125K <laughs> is all we need to do a good one, which is nice to know we can do really it for nice. that, because that's. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. all the way professional. And, you know, to the people who wonder, I'm, I'm the screenwriter and nothing else, like the, the, yeah, you're the director is an actual director. You know, whoever we get to be director, director of, photography of photography will be, will an, be actual. an actual director. He already has lined up a him. sound editor who's like a Grammy, Grammy, Emmy, whatever, whichever award you win doing that stuff. I can never. Keep you're track. basically the screen. You're the screenwriter, and Keith Larkin is also going to be trying to write the score for the movie because oh, he's right. a composer. Oh, very so, nice. Cool. So Larkin will be doing the score for it, Which and most people don't know about me. And now I have my dream suit. I'm actually I'm planning on making a. YouTube video in the coming days to show, yeah, I really can write classical orchestral arrangements. Oh, he, he can write a lot. I have no freaking idea that um, that's what it would be doing. You're, you're a, he's a symphonic orchestral person. Like, that's his mind. That's what he does. That's what he would be. Like, if none of this crap existed, we would just be making orchestral rock all the time is what we would be doing. Because I'm a singer and I'm relearning the piano and I, I like to songwrite and he's actually a composer and knows the audio engineering side of it. And now he's got his dream little mini studio over there. So we, we have goals and you know, the nice thing is, is this movie funds other things like that. Like this movie would fund the mirror, for example, if it blew up, because the hardest thing about the mirror is it's such a lengthy, um, you know, project that, you know, theoretically speaking, if somebody was going to make an interactive video game world, they'd get a team of 200 people to do it, not just Larkin. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's not, it doesn't have a monetary ROI. The mirror is not being sold. So people don't want to fund it as much because they're, they have to want the payoff of, they they have to want the payoff of what it's going to do for the world. It's not a monetary investment. So for everyone that asks about the mirror, very few actually have given to it now few have given big chunks enough that larkin's got stuff done on it and stages over the last few yeah, years tons of it, but, yeah, but to get it years. really done because it's such a massive project it just needs it needs a much bigger amount of funding and so it's been and one it of those, will yeah because it will be given away to the whole world for free yeah the moment it's done so his books have helped to fund it along more and more and more and the better his book sales do the better that helps but also this project could feasibly fully fund it and yeah. get, just depends on how it goes and because i'm a screenwriter you know between screenwriting and the whole thing being in the can because music comes very last like the whole movie will be there um between there i'm doing hardly anything on the movie so i basically write the the script and then it's back to work on the mirror (laughs) while they make a movie out of it and then i can stick some music on it so you're giving the mirror away for free because you're a greedy capitalist pig i assume right (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Obviously, yeah. And that's the one thing that, you know, we have had some argument about it where I I was sort of testing him and pushing him because I was like, okay, I want to make sure that um, you really, really believe in it should be given away for free and why. Because he knows, he you know, he understands basic, you know, eco- uh, economics 101 and incentive and how often people are not, don't take something seriously or look into it unless they pay for it. But he's like, no, this is one of those things that's got to be weird and intriguing so much so that people are easily able to grab onto it. So it's just shareable and anybody can grab it. And I, when I really understood what he was envisioning, I was like, okay, yeah, it, it does need to be given away for free because it needs to be that accessible mm-hmm. and it should be done well enough and weird enough and different enough. People are going to go, what is this thing? And they're just going to tell their friends about it and go, have you done this, uh, a uh, little interactive thing I stumbled across called the mirror. Yeah. And the intentional thing will be that it isn't easy to describe. People won't be able to just say, Oh, it's a video game. And the point of the game is this. They'll right. just go, I did this weird and thing. So it, and it has to be fast and easy enough that literally, I think the way most people will hear about it, do it if somebody says, check this out, you go to the website and it has the weird design that says the mirror and you click on it and it opens up and you're already in it. Yeah. You don't have to register. You didn't give them any information. You don't pay for anything. Mm. And the moment you're in it, it's like, whoa, just before you have any freaking idea what it is, <laughs> it's looking and sounding cool enough that, okay, you're in it. Yeah. And then they'll tell somebody else about it. And so, yeah, I don't want anything to, well, you have to register here and put in your credit card. And, right. um, so, yeah, that, that thing in particular has to be, you know, when it's out there, it's the whole world. So is it going to be a website or like a, a program people download? I, I assume um, it's going to be a website, all right? All of the above. All of the above, oh, okay. And app and everything else. Um, awesome. There will be a website where people can just go, we'll also let people download the whole stinking thing and stick it on their own website. Mm, We're also cool. going to make it on DVDs, like so you literally have the whole thing on a disc. The, nice. the really high-capacity ones now that hold like 20 gigabytes and stuff. Mm. Um, it's going to be tricky to do it and on apps and I, I want people to be able to do it all over the place in a bunch of different ways and people can like i said they can take the entire program and stick it on their website for well, free too the idea is once it's done too that you're going to make it so that you know you don't need to be an app developer and know how to make the app anybody can take the app like it, it'll be open so people can just grab it and go be, okay how yeah, do i make self, this into an app a self-contained and thing and adapt then it to an app. yeah somebody would make it in because really all it technically is is a bunch of video clips and stills where it asks you a question while it's moving you to the, and then it sticks on a still that where you have to choose the answer to the question. And then depending on which answer you do, it shows the next movie. And so making it is massively complex, but in the end, what it actually is is a bunch of video clips and stills mm-hmm. in a flow chart. Yeah, it's a flow um, so chart the programming as a is pretty world. damn like making the thing exist is ridiculously complicated, and but once it exists and you have all those clips and stills, the the programming for the app or the website is pretty damn simple. In fact, somebody pointed out to me there already is one of those you can do for free where you you put in your own flowchart stuff and it it makes it for you automatically. I was like, well, that's cool. Like, yeah, it's um, also for the people that have said, Larkin, you know, would the mirror get done faster if you? Had people helping you, um, he does, and he's not trying to just do it entirely on his own. It's just the there there is a certain element of control freakism he has to yeah. totally have over his own project <laughs> in the sense that we all know the minute that you start to outsource too much, then your idea or your project isn't going to literally take the exact form it needs to yeah. the right way. So it's hard because he does have to have a certain amount of control over the whole thing yeah. the whole time. 
Um, and then there's only certain parts people yeah. can help with. The, and then... the script has to be completely me because it's the whole psychology yes. thing. The computer animation, 100%. I now have a couple of people I trust enough to, to have them help out and have it still match my vision and stuff. And, you know, there are people that I can say, oh, I don't want it to look like that. I want it to look like this. And they won't get all huffy and stuff. Um, but also I know them well enough to know that they, they, first of all, they know Blender better than I do, which is the computer animation thing. And they really know their stuff and they, they understand the look I'm going for. And they basically see your vision and they have no problems with just trying to make your vision come to life, which yeah. those people are the ones that we're, we are working with that we're willing to work with. So we're really yeah. excited about the Jones Plantation because it seems like other people are excited about this. It seems like we can get people that do have the money to help fund it in the community on board with this and wanting to do it. And we know a lot of them. Um, and it, we're going to do it either way. It's one of those, right. we're going to make this happen. The roadmap is there. We have it. One way or another, one way or another, yeah. and then it will fund as long as it goes well. It will probably fund a bunch of other things we're working on constantly, anyway, so. including the mirror. And as as somebody commented under one of my posts yesterday, he said, like, you know, people are constantly saying, "Wow, well, how do we achieve a stateless society if it isn't voting?" And he says, "Do this <laughs> if it isn't voting." Because the thing that matters is changing people's minds. Right. And I, you know, we have candles in the dark to teach people to do it one at a time um and i'm working on the mirror to do like you know be a, an automated version of doing the same thing um but for now if you want to help change people's minds and traumatize people out of their statism um the jones plantation i think is pretty freaking potent and powerful as a full-length movie even as a dumb little animated thing a bunch of people told me it changed their lives like, okay, imagine if we really did it for real. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I get that a lot of people are like, ah, you know, I don't even personally care for movies or I don't do movie watching or it's like me. I personally, I'm very picky about movies. I've never been like, I like to spend tons and tons of my time watching television. Um, but what we have to acknowledge is that the first world and the statist world and the people that literally still are upholding this belief system erroneously and giving that beast power with their minds are the TV watchers. And yeah. so you have to go where basically you have to go to the crux of where the power lies. It's in the people's minds and you have to go to those minds and you have to reach them in the form that they're willing to, to, re to be reached in. And most people are still passive with their entertainment. They watch Netflix. They, they are, you know, you, they, that's what they do. They just want to look at a screen and sort of be entertained. And those are the people, literally those are the people that are upholding a bunch of this BS still from their belief. And the fact that they will still call the cops on people, still vote, still tell people they believe in this, give it their attention. And so just to the crowd that says, you know, why a movie? Well, this is why it seems to be where we all know where the statists are. They congregate by watching and believing in the television they're watching. So we yeah. got to and bring the deprogramming to their eyes. Right. Yeah. A bunch of pro-freedom people are always like, oh, we're just preaching to the choir. Well, this isn't. This, this is isn't. It's going to go Talking everywhere. to the other 7 billion people. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I see so much potential with this. I'm so grateful you guys are doing this. Um, you know, I think the what's going on right now with the whole uh, fear of the coronavirus and the lockdowns and the quarantines, that is, to me, um, testament to how uh, obedient people are to political mandates. You know, how politicians say, you know, a couple of sentences and all businesses obey. 
<laughs> and they closed yeah. down and they locked down. And, and then, and then amusingly enough, um, people say that, look at that. The state saved us from, <laughs> from this wretched right. virus, you know, and, 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 and if it wasn't, you know, it would have been worse because look at all these people suffering and, and, um, and starving and their businesses are destroyed. I'm like, no, that wasn't because of a virus. That's because the, you obey the, the idiotic uh, mandates of sociopaths and you close down your business and now your business is destroyed. That's what's making people suffer. And, and yep. yes, go ahead. Sorry. There's even an equivalent of that in the Jones plantation. It's not a disease, but it's a completely made up thing to have them all scared of and looking to. Nice. To Mr. Jones, Mr. Smith, <laughs> to protect them from. So I hope people will notice that too. I was like, uh, he's, darn it. <laughs> he's getting, he's getting everything into yeah. this. It's, and it's, and it's great because it's the perfect attention span. It doesn't have to be this, it can't really be a two hour movie. It'll be like a 90 minute movie. So it's going to be, you know, the right, just, it's going to be potent. It's going to be intense and it's going to be very, People won't be able to mistake it for anything. It's also going to not you. Nobody will be able to think that it is um, pro socialism or anti capitalism or anything like that. Which some people who misunderstood the little cartoon Jones Plantation almost yeah, thought it was hinting at being anti capitalism, and we we're like, no. And, and Largan's like, by by the end of the full length feature film, nobody's going to think it's you know leaning left or right, right one or right. leaning because it totally shows or... both wings it totally shows the game of the two sides and it yeah. shows both sides being used against people yeah so, yeah I, I like that about the movies. i i really hope people will uh support you um and donate to you guys because i think you guys deserve it and you know this is one of those opportunities where we can really reach a lot of people and, um, you know, some, some people who are freedom minded that I meet, they're not necessarily anarchists, but they're freedom minded and they're very depressed and, and they're very discouraged at what's going on right now. And they see a bleak and dismal future. And, um, I never share that, that view with them because, you know, like Larkin, when you became an anarchist, how many anarchists were around, right? Very, very few. And Zero. just look right now, things have ballooned and blossomed. How many podcasts yeah. devoted to this? How many YouTube channels? How many websites and Facebook pages? And people are talking about this. And, and you know, we were talking about the um, the Internet making um, borders and statism irrelevant when people can talk to each other rather than, yeah. rather than um, you know, interpret what they think other people think of them through politicians, through political fear. They can actually right. talk to people from other countries, and that just destroys – the legitimacy of the state so well. So I see a very bright future. I, I see only one way. I really do. You know, statism in my mind is the dinosaur of the space age that we're currently in. And, yeah, and, and we're just waiting for humans to realize it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I honestly don't share that dismal view. And I think, yeah. um, you know, this is a perfect time. You know, they, they say that, um, you know, people who are visionaries and, and, um, you know, make sparkling inventions that they're representative of the zeitgeist of the time. But I don't think so. I think what they're doing is they're they're with the times and most people are behind the times. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of the way I look at volunteers and anarchists. You know, we are we are with the zeitgeist of the times. You know, we are the abolitionists of the current age and everyone else yeah. is still stumbling about groping in the dark, you know, thinking that mm -hmm. it's okay to own people. And, yeah. and advocate for politicians to do so on their behalf. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and they're, and they're going to figure it out. And I think that the people that feel depressed, you know, I would lift them up by saying, you know, give yourself some historical perspective if you're feeling depressed because history is revealing the state as the same small group of control freaks that has had to rehash and revamp and reinvent their control game every other five decades because people catch on to it. So they had to go from, you know, the feudalism days of overt violent control over the peasants who are literally starving to death every day and have shit for their floors at home. And Mr. Jones method and the Mr. Jones (laughs) method, the brute force method to, you know, people believing they're free and swimming in so many nice things and having all these luxuries, but no real time freedom and being an indentured tax plantation slave in the modern U.S. system. And so when you look at the fact that control freaks have been the ones backing up over history, not the other way around, they've been having to back up and go, okay, try that. Oops. Okay. They caught onto that. Okay. Try that. Okay. Oops. They caught onto that. Try that. And they're just control freaks. They're just abusers. They're not, they're not these all powerful, you know, the government doesn't magically become the super powerful entity because you called it the government. It's Mm -hmm. still a bunch of control freaks who are mostly retarded as in literally what that word means. They are slowed down mentally by their evil manipulative outlook on the world that disconnects them from their human beings, empathetically speaking, because empathy is human intelligence. The only reason humans understand how to work together effectively are the one is because we developed empathy and the other animals does not. And so we have empathetic connection. I can feel what, what, uh, you know, Danilo and other people want and why they want that because I relate to it. And people who are truly psychopathic and sociopathic, they don't relate to the peasants. They're bumbling around going, I think this is what I say to look like I'm one of the good humans. <laughs> is am I doing the acting right? And they don't know. And so there are people that revere that and think that that's so dangerous. Don't really get how they work. They, they are only effective in that without empathy, you can get away with certain things because people that don't have empathy will just try crazy stuff that steps all over other people that other people who are empathetic, it wouldn't occur to them that somebody would do that. Once the subjects who are empathetic, regular people, once the private citizenry finds out what these people have been doing and sees them for what they are and stops pretending that they're us, then their game's all up. And so I agree with you. I'm totally, you know, a, this is just a mathematical inevitability. We are, we see what's happening. Everyone else doesn't yet. And they're going to catch up. Yeah. And I, you know, as far as showing how the sociopaths function, I don't know any way to do that in the Jones plantation. And I think that right now, as, as ridiculous as so many things are, um, I've talked to a lot of voluntarists and anarchists who say, suddenly people I've talked to before that weren't at all receptive, they're coming to me and asking about stuff. This really is the perfect time, even though it looks like, oh, everyone's being obedient and stuff. This is the perfect time because tons of people are being forced to question and doubt the official garbage. And now they're suddenly saying, oh, maybe, you know, they're not looking out for us. And and so I think this is also the perfect time to, you know, throw the Jones plantation in their face and go, yeah, that's what they do. That's what they do. (laughs) Because I think a bunch of people are going to recognize it and go, that is what they are. Holy smokes. Well, and and I remind people too that, you know, um, the people that think like us, that are discouraged by seeing so many mask wearers around them and so much compliance, right? 
you have to remember that we all knew this much of the world was still mostly status before we got to see visually, you know, how many mm. people are willing to comply. We knew that, but we also know there's a lot of us out there awake and aware. And so I can't even count the number of threads that have, I mean, total, it has to have been threads filled with hundreds and now thousands of people I've seen online all over the world of people calling out this bullshit, saying they refuse to wear masks, saying the masks are stupid, um, uh, nurses, doctors, uh, people in the system posting in threads and saying that they witness this corruption going on. They see the cash for COVID programs going on at hospitals. You know, their, their attempts to control has just only more drastically revealed what we already knew, which is actually that there's a really good divide going on. Yeah. There's a, there's a real strong, the- tipping point happening here massive resistance to shutdowns in like ireland and germany and you know to some extent here yeah there's a bunch of people all over the world going yeah you're not going to make us do this yeah it's not like there's just three of us and we're going wow everyone is complying it's like all (laughs) even their own um minions aren't enforcing their stuff it was a Mm. botch of job from the beginning so it's like you had mds and people in their own groups of experts coming out and going actually I think this is ridiculous and we kind of jumped the gun on this. And then you have Harvard professors immediately saying, no, this is ridiculous and overblown and, and exaggerated. And then you have like, you know, governors being told by the the peasantry that normally are silent, not saying anything to, you know, F off and F you on Twitter and you're not going to try and mandate, you know, shit. And so you have all this, it, it just caused a divide. It's uncomfortable because now we can really see how much, you know, half of us really are completely just obedient and compliant still. And the other half of us are getting pissed off and really sick of being controlled by the compliant half. So it's uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable time in America right now because people are going, oh, we're all on different pages. A bunch of us are on different pages, but that's a good thing. And it's it's the perfect time to show them who Mr. Smith is. (laughs) Yeah. All the Mr. Smiths out there, Democrat, Republican, everywhere else. Yeah, it's almost yeah, like uh, it, it, it's almost like I guess how um, being gay was like a, a hidden thing you didn't talk about when like in the seventies or eighties, and now it's like the mask is like it's like you don't you don't think COVID is, is, is you think COVID is BS, right? Yeah, good, me too. <laughs> it's like you're gonna be in the closet until you you mention something. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I like um, hearing from people randomly. Have you run into people? I don't know if you have, but like randomly hearing from people out on the street that dare to say something to me or share with me or speak up or they see me without a mask and then like one guy in Pennsylvania while I was visiting uh, Pennsylvania and with Larkin over there I walked into a gas station and I was the only one without a mask on but they weren't saying anything to me so um and there's an older guy um older than me anyway older uh, by maybe a couple decades and he's standing around getting his coffee and he sees me because I'm not wearing a mask and he just turns around and he says hey you know what good for you um, and I kind of look at him for a second to see if that's what I think he means to see if he'll elaborate. And I just kind of look at him and he goes, uh, uh, and he pulls his mask down and he goes, I think this whole thing is bullshit. And between you and me, I wouldn't even be wearing this stupid mask except my wife would give me total shit. And I I was like, and I was, and I was like, yeah, man, I totally agree. I mean, and he's like, you know, and then he wanted to talk. He's like, you know, the CDC just totally got caught with, you know, <laughs> lying their asses off and they showed what the numbers really were. And it was something like the death rates, really this and that and the other thing. And, and I said, yeah, I'm totally aware. It's also partly why I'm totally not 
wearing a mask and I'm trying to get away with not doing it as long as, you know, nobody stands in my way. Um, and so, yeah, we had that little exchange and, and then he left and it made me, you know, realize how many people uncomfortably found out they weren't even on the same page with their own spouses. Like, Oh, (laughs) my wife is, thinks I'm a, uh, you know, doofus if I don't wear a mask. Meanwhile, I know this is crap. And so I know how many people are probably going along because they don't want to make waves with their family or they know it's BS, but maybe their employer is literally forcing them to like, they're an anarchist ideologically, but they still had an employer before this all happened. And their employer said, wear the mask or else. So you have that level of compliance. So the whole, the whole top down thing, I think this is great because it just illuminated to a whole new layer of people, how much top down force based hierarchies don't work. And the whole, cause the, you just, everybody gets hit in the kneecaps. The, the businesses were basically told to hit themselves in the kneecaps. Mm-hmm. And then they did. And they knocked off half their customer base by requiring masks. And, and this is, and a bunch of them are going to get hurt and then they're going to go, Oh, and then I did that for no reason. Cause I just bought into what the government told me I had to do. Um, and so this just, I, it's like Larkin said, this is the dumbest thing they could have done. I don't actually think this yeah. was smart or a show of totalitarian control. I think this was a show of, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap, uh, try this. <laughs> desperation. And, and Which, they, I mean, it caused real harm, but it's. But they pissed off the 50 run, million people in yeah, the process. Yeah, they alienated tens of millions of people, so. Right. So yeah. hopefully they're going to grow the ranks of Anarchists. And, and also, I'm, I'm also encouraged by the amount of people that don't vote each election season. I think that's growing each time. And so to me, that's very encouraging. So, yeah. So I see a very bright future uh, for us and for the diminishment and ultimate elimination of the belief in authority. The state doesn't exist. It's the belief in authority. And you guys are doing a great job about that, uh, helping that, um, you know, encourage it along a little bit quicker because we all know that it couldn't come soon enough. <laughs> so yeah, it's great talking to you guys. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Um, for your time. Uh, so just before we go, just um, repeat the links that, that you want them to go to uh, uh, to find out more about you and what, what you guys are doing. Well, the, the Indiegogo campaign is on Indiegogo.com um, and you can have a link below. And then our, you know, we have a gazillion videos on YouTube.com slash Larkin Rose, including one we just did called Election Day. Which totally makes fun yes. of voting. That Please share one. Election Day around, audience. Election Day <laughs> is the funny video with two Larkins coming to the door and I the door. <laughs> so great. Look up, like look up Election Day and share that one. It's a good election time video. That was fun to make. And then, oh, on therosechannel.com, that, that's a subscription site and that has some special stuff on it. But at the top of that, you can get on our free email list and we're, we're starting to push that all over the place because um, with the way, yeah, now. with the way that social media is just going full fascist, we want a way to keep in touch with people. So we're making a free email list. We don't give it away to anybody else, but that way, if you know, if we get totally shut down by Facebook and or YouTube at some point, we still have a we'll probably happen. Connection. We'll still have a way to get get to people. So that part's free. And then the Rose Channel has candles in the dark on it, and and however many hundred of my old podcasts on it, and, and stuff like that. So therosechannel.com, you can get on the free email list or you can see what else is um, there for subscribers. And- just a quick blurb for those that don't know, Candles in the Dark Online is our online version of our two-day seminar we used to do. And it's, what, 75 bucks for them to do it? They yeah. get the whole thing. It used to be come in person to a two-day long seminar. You'd have to fly there and then you'd spend 125 yeah. bucks for the seminar. Now you can get the whole two-day seminar we had filmed online for 75 bucks. And what that is, is that's our way that we teach people 
uh, how to spread the message of liberty without actually preaching at anybody, without using your own ideology, without having to talk to people about 9-11 or Austrian without economics or conspiracy theories or history. You can literally just ask questions, and if you understand the techniques, you can help deprogram people. So yeah. if you help us that and way, that's a way to spread There's it. two ways to do that. Um, the, the subscribers to the Rose channel get it automatically, and I think that's still like 20 bucks a month. Or you can go to attendcandles.com and just mm-hmm. get the and just uh, get candles seminar. So that's probably enough bombarding them with websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. So, yeah, so happy you guys are doing this. And, um, you know, we're going to make this happen and uh, we're going to reach a lot of people. And, um, you know, hopefully for the, uh, what would that be, 2024 election, we're going to have 100% <laughs> not voting. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you, you, you probably don't even need that much to uh, completely delegitimize the state, but. Um, yeah. I have, I have immense hope. So yeah, Larkin Rose, uh, Larkin and Amanda, thank you so much, uh, for coming on and talking with me. This has been wonderful. So this is, um, this is Daniel Queer from peacefulanarchism.com wishing all of you have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye.